0: We hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to HJ Talks About Abuse. I'm Kathleen Hallisey, Senior Associate in the team, joined by my colleague, Hannah Hodgson. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, listeners. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to be talking about some recent announcements around The Disclosure of Therapy Records in Criminal Prosecutions for Sexual Assault and Rape. As the title suggests, we are going to be talking about some difficult subjects. So a trigger warning here. If this is something that perhaps is not going to be the best thing for your mental health today to be hearing about sexual assault and rape, then now's the time to switch off and perhaps go make yourself a nice cup of tea and tune in to another episode. For everybody else, if you're happy to stay with us, welcome. And um, we hope you find this an interesting talk.
1: Yeah, thanks Kathleen. As you mentioned, we're going to be talking today around the topic of counselling and therapy sessions and in particular records survivors who um, are obviously seeking support once they've been through sexual assault. So it's actually an article that was reported by the Rape Crisis England and Wales charity last week, talking about how victims of sexual violence are now being told to avoid therapy in case it is used against them to release suspects and avoid convictions in the criminal courts. So obviously this is causing a lot of stress amongst many victims, um, understandably, because I think... They're feeling as though they're having to choose between therapy and, and seeking help for their mental health or getting justice in the criminal process and obviously seeing the perpetrators get convicted. So it's, it's a really, really, um you know, horrible topic matter, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like for victims and survivors, they're kind of caught between a, a rock and a hard place and that, you know, obviously they want to see a successful prosecution of the perpetrator for rape or sexual assault, but equally they also want to get treatment and therapy for the trauma that they've suffered. And so they're trying to kind of balance the two, and or they're stuck between those two things because the risk is that if they have therapy or treatment, those records could be disclosed in the course of the criminal investigation and prosecution.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I know, uh, uh, you know, in this report, there's been a lot of survivors accounts and they're saying as though, you know, this is making them feel like their recovery process is being prolonged. Then they're, they're not able to deal with their emotions because they're not, they feel like they're, you know, not able to, to seek any support. So this is, you know, obviously having a really negative impact on survivors and victims.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen firsthand from, from the clients that we work with that, you know, the importance of therapy and how it can really make a difference to a person's recovery or at least the the start of their recovery and their healing journey from sexual assault and sexual abuse. So having to put that off, particularly when that resource is available to you, because we also know about the lengthy waiting lists for therapy and treatment is really difficult but equally i can see you know where a survivor would think well i don't want what i'm saying in therapy to become part of a criminal trial that i would have to be cross examined about and so i'll just Put that off, but you know, prolonging their pain and suffering, really.
1: Yeah, and this is not really something that should be a priority. And you know, um, someone who's been through something like this in their mm-hmm. head—they're already mm-hmm. going through enough. This is, you know, not really something that should be at the top of their priority list. Having to even think about whether that, you know, questioning whether they should go and seek support—it's just like really, it just seems really wrong.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought it was interesting too. In the report that you had mentioned, that rape crisis, excuse me, shared that a victim was told to avoid counseling by two therapists, two police officers, and an ISFA, because the notes could be requested by the police or CPS and used as evidence. And, you know, I can understand her being cautioned by those people, and they were probably looking out for her best interest. But on the other hand, it means that, you know, this victim is left suffering. And we know that it can take, you know, a couple of years at least to get to a criminal trial and you know, ultimately a successful prosecution and a conviction. So, you know, that's a long time for someone to be waiting for any type of professional help, particularly when they've already experienced something incredibly traumatic and are suffering. And then the whole criminal process in itself is really difficult and traumatic and stressful to have absolutely no support during that process just seems really wrong.
1: Yeah. And, and we know as well, if are working with some of our own clients, you know, if, if it's left too long, how effective treatment can be. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, seeking treatment at any point is obviously a really positive thing, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing the, the quicker that people can get treatment, obviously the, the more positive impact that's going to have on your life. Why should they have to suffer for longer? And, and then I think you found some really interesting statistics. Statistics
0: from the um, National Counseling and Psychotherapy Society revealing that one in four therapists have had their clients' counseling notes requested by the police and that 86% of those requests related to clients who had experienced sexual violence every time or most of the time. So it seems like there's a bit of a disconnect here because on the one hand, the guidance that CPS has been given or the guidelines that they follow indicates that they don't, as a matter of course, request therapy records or therapy notes and hand them over to the defense. But on the other hand, it seems like the data is indicating that at least, you know, a quarter of therapists are in the data that that you found have received such requests. And it does relate to sexual violence and sexual crimes. So it seems a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. But I think people are working hard to change this. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems as though like in practice it's actually like what you're saying. It's it's actually a complete another story to what the CPS were saying. I know there's been a lot of charities that been, have been campaigning for change of this. And there's been some MPs I read who have been supportive of the rule during a debate in parliament last week to do with this. They're campaigning for the law to change around this area. So there is some action being taken. Hopefully this will, will start to see a change in, in the practice.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I know, again, from working with victims and survivors, often that therapists specifically don't keep detailed notes to avoid this issue so that if they are required to disclose their notes, there isn't really much in there. But that doesn't change the feeling that a victim or survivor would have of knowing that their records could be requested and and reviewed and, and they could be questioned about what they've spoken about in therapy, which, you know, I think, as has been mentioned by Amanda Handy, who's the head of policy and public affairs at Rape Crisis, that Victims and survivors shouldn't be prevented from receiving life-saving support. I think that's a really important point that, you know, this isn't, I don't want to say just therapy because I don't mean it in that way. Therapy is really important, but in some cases it really can save someone's life. So really critical that we get to the bottom of this issue and make sure that victims and survivors have access to the support that they need.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We know, you know, it can have absolutely devastating impacts on people and we need to avoid this as far as possible. and, and, And so it's really important that, you know, change is seen in this area. Absolutely.
0: No, for sure. I think it's a really interesting topic. And, you know, I'll be interested to see what steps the government takes in relation to the victims and prisoners bill there's some talk about waiting until the law commission finishes its review on evidence and sexual offence prosecutions before any amendments are made but the kind of time is now i would say to make the changes and an amendment to the victims and prisoners bill so that people can get the, the help that they need
1: yeah absolutely so maybe this will be an area that we can revisit yeah soon and see what's been done and hopefully there'll be a bit of a positive change
0: yeah absolutely and i i would love to hear from anybody who has had the experience of having their records requested, a therapist who has had a request for records, or ISPAs who are supporting clients dealing with this issue. It'd be really great to hear from you. And and what your experience has been so if if you are one of those people please do get in touch with us yeah definitely please do thanks everyone for listening as always if you found this interesting or you have any topics that you'd like to hear us discuss or any ideas for podcasts please do let us know we'd be delighted to speak with you
1: thanks listeners bye kathleen
0: bye hannah thank you thank you for listening to this episode of hj talks about abuse You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us
1: at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.